that uh, that hymn, "Come Thou Fount." That's uh, for for sure one of my favorite uh, hymns ever, um, and uh, it actually is a, a really good uh, uh, setup for where we're going today in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, in fact, that uh, that second verse, "Hitherto Thy love uh, has blessed me; Thou hast brought me." Uh, to this place, and I know thy hand will bring me safely home t- um, by thy good grace. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. You know, we trust, we trust the Lord through all circumstances, through all things that uh, uh, often, uh, as we're going to see in Exodus 32 here, um, our perception is not always reality, and uh, but God knows all things, and so we we trust not in our ability to perceive reality, but we trust in our sovereign Lord, who presides over all of it and sees it all for what it is, and has a good plan for each and every one of us who will trust in Him, and so. Um, so let's go go to the Lord in prayer this morning, and then we're gonna we're gonna open up Exodus 32. Father, as we come together around Your Word, Lord, we thank You for Your goodness and Your kindness towards us. We thank You for Your faithful hand, and for um, for the many ways that You intervene throughout our days and and weeks and and even years. Uh, and generations, Lord, um, to show your faithfulness, to show your love, uh, to show your compassion and your mercy. And um, Lord, not least of which was through the, the sending of your son who took, his pla- took our place on the cross. That we would have forgiveness of sins, that we would be called the children of God by, by faith in him. And... Um, so, Lord, we, we gather around Your Word today to have You teach us Your ways, that we should walk in them, to have You reveal Yourself to us, that we should know You more fully. And, um, Lord, we ask that You would help us to, to learn from You today by the power of Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever... Um, okay, this is, kind of a, this is very much a rhetorical question. Have you ever uh, felt like your your you had your heart and soul poured into something, pleading pleading with God, desiring something, um, and uh, a good thing, um, not a selfish or evil thing, but a, a good thing that you desired, a good thing that you longed for, a good thing that you suffered over in prayer and longing and pleading with God. That just never seems to come to fruition. Where where you're you're at the soul level, you you, you it's hard not to begin to despair. At the soul level, you you begin to wonder, does God hear me? Um, or maybe He hears me and He doesn't care. Or or maybe even more than that, maybe He's not even there. That that there's something that voice inside of you that goes, where is your God now? Well, um, this morning we're going to look at a passage in Exodus chapter 32 
um, where there's a, a, a generation of, of Jews that were uh, very quick to forget what God had done and very quick to forget what, where they were before God intervened to rescue them. And uh, we're going to look at, at what that has to do with, with where we live and how we live out our days and persevering uh, in our trust in the Lord. Having an example here, unfortunately, of how not to do it, the Scriptures do, through this example, actually give us uh, a perspective of how to persevere, to trust in the Lord, um, even when our eyes perceive something that uh, may or may not really represent reality, but is, are, is difficult for us to, to go through. So, let's look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Unfortunately, this, this generation of, of, uh, of Jews being led by Moses, um, their, their story comes up many times throughout the Scriptures and always as an example of a faithless people who were hard-hearted towards the Lord. And always as an example of uh, what not to do. And as an encouragement and an exhortation to, to follow the Lord and to not turn away from Him. Now let's look at Exodus chapter 32. So we know that Moses has gone to meet with the Lord uh, alone. And the Lord is giving him all kinds of instructions uh, regarding the people, regarding uh, the tabernacle, where, uh, the construction of that, and uh, a whole bunch of things that we've been going through here in Exodus. And while he's up there, this is what happens. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It was my hope originally to tackle uh, the whole chapter to preserve some of the context that's going on here. Um, but uh, that just seemed to me as I really started diving in that there was just too many things to really discuss to allow for that time. And so we're going to look at the first six verses here. And, um, and we're actually, I'm not going to really wander too much in. I'm, we're going to talk about Aaron uh, later at a different time. But uh, there's some leadership issues here with Aaron that, um, that we're going to talk about, um, though we're not going to hit on it too much today. So Exodus 32, first verse. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Let me ask you, what did the people see? They didn't see anything. They didn't actually see anything. 
Uh, when it says here that they saw that Moses delayed, uh, it reveals to us they had an expectation of, of what would occur or what should occur, and it wasn't happening. And they saw, they noticed, they realized that their expectation of what should happen or what was going to happen wasn't happening. So the, the seeing here was not based in uh, what was really going on. Their seeing was based in what they perceived to happen. In fact, later on in verse 1 it says, We do not know what has become of him. Uh, in other words, maybe he got torn by wild animals somewhere on the mountain. Uh, maybe God just killed him up there for some reason. Maybe Moses just took off and saw his chance to get out of here and not deal with us. At any rate, here we are. Without Moses, without God, what are we going to do? Now, there was a little bit of this that we see uh, after Jesus is crucified and the disciples are gathered together. There's a little flavor of this. And we could easily see how the disciples could easily have gone the same direction as this generation of, of Israelite, Israelites went in Moses' absence. Because Jesus, their Lord, was crucified. Their hope, uh, their Savior had been laid in a grave and the tomb had been sealed. But as we know, the Lord appeared to them having resurrected from the dead and made clear that God is faithful to fulfill His promises that even the grave can't contain our Lord. The Israelites here began to wonder what was going on. But here, they took it a step further. So there was this seed of thought that maybe Moses isn't coming back. And kind of along that, because Moses is the the one who's been doing all the communicating between them and God, uh, there's also a, a... Perhaps a feeling here where not only is Moses not around, but neither is God. Him and God are like off on a fishing trip or something. They, they left. They're on vacation. They're, they're gone from here. We are here with Aaron, which we'll see um, was not a great deal of confidence um, really for, for the people here. But um, So Moses and the Lord, to, from their perspective, are nowhere to be found. They're absent. Again, I wonder how many of us have at least felt that way on occasion. That where is the Lord? Now, intellectually, especially as we're gathered here on a Sunday morning, we're not going to probably admit to that. No, no, I know God is sovereign and holy and He's always there for me. Um, but in our heart of hearts, we've had moments and maybe even you're having one now where you go, where is the Lord? I can't hear him. I can't see him. I can't. I, I don't. I feel like he's absent from my life. Well, the people here were feeling that way, and they took it a step further from that seed of of doubt about God's presence and 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 uh, dwelling with them. They took it a further. They took it a step further. It says the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him. Now, they didn't just spontaneously, it wasn't like a, a, just a spontaneous flash mob that, uh, that shows up 
uh, where nobody knew what was going to happen at, until that moment. And all of a sudden they just started sharing this with Aaron. No, how they got to the point of gathering together and approaching Aaron was a lot of this beforehand. One discouraging seed after another being shared back and forth. Hey, anybody seen Moses? Did you notice Moses has been gone a long time? Yeah, I wonder what happened to him. Probably got shredded by wild animals. Or maybe he just took off. Or maybe God just you know, knocked him down on the mountain there. We don't know. But he's probably not coming back, is he? No, we're probably alone here. He probably is, He's not coming back. And you see how this seed gets planted and then on and on and on. And we know full well what happens when discouragement starts getting passed from one person to another. Oh man, it it can just wreck a, a whole group of people that would otherwise be held together with unity and hope. Well, the people began to share with one another all sorts of of discouraging ideas, despairing ideas, and together having a sort of hopelessness that they shared in. And they bring this before Aaron with a... uh, uh, Well, it's more than a request here, isn't it? They, they give instruction here to Moses, or to Aaron that uh, Moses has taken off. They don't know where he's at. They don't know what's happened to him. So they need to have gods made for him. This leads me to a thought that one of our, our temptations, the temptations of the flesh, is when God doesn't fulfill our expectations, we will create a God who does. Now, God already addressed this issue with His people back uh, earlier as we saw in Exodus chapter 20. Moses was actually preparing to come down off the mountain to remind them of this. But in Exodus chapter 20, right off as the Lord's giving, laying down some really important things that have to do with their covenant relationship, God and His people, He says, it says, And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who did what? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God reminds them right off the bat here where you came from and what, how, I, how I brought you out of that. And then he goes into, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to serve them or to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God has already spoken to His people about the extreme importance of their loyalty to Him and their trust in Him. And that He will not share His glory with another. He is a jealous God. Much like you as a parent are jealous for the affection and love of your, of your children. Much like you as a spouse are jealous for the affection and love of your spouse. Much like you as a, as a close friend to someone is jealous for that relationship that, that you expect a loyalty in that relationship towards you. 
God is jealous for those whom He has called, created and called because He, 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 he has here in Exodus called these people specifically to have a covenant relationship with Him where He uniquely makes His presence known among Israel. And He has a jealous love for that. Not the kind of jealous that, uh, you know, uh, 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 we're not, we shouldn't, we shouldn't compare this to like, uh, how we think of maybe, um, uh, like I think of like, you know, in high school watching guys fight over a girl or something. This is not that kind of jealousy, right? This is, this is legitimate, uh, this is the, this is the way it ought to be. Uh, you ought to have a jealousy <laughs> towards towards the affection of your spouse that you don't share that with another or your children um, in likeness to that and so God here is perfectly so because He loves His people in a passionate way and wants them to keep their eyes on Him and their hope in Him because ultimately He's the only one who has their good in mind. Look, the enemy comes to just to steal, kill. And destroy. But it's Christ who comes to give a life that's full and abundant. And so the people gather together in their discouragement and they approach Aaron and they say, hey, we need, a, we need gods to worship here. We need gods to lead us. Now this is uh, really uh, disturbing how quickly they make this turn. Up, make, God, make us gods who shall go before us. What has Yahweh been doing? In the pillar of fire, in the cloud, and just continually since He rescued them out of Egypt, the Lord has been going before them, leading His people in such dramatic and miraculous fashion. And so quickly they go, hey, make us some gods who will go before us. This is like the the epitome of what have you done lately? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And so, and, and, and this is, uh, just adds disturbing on disturbing when Aaron responds not by saying, remember the God who saved you. Remember where you were in slavery in Egypt when you pleaded with God to be rescued and then He sent Moses to bring you up out of Egypt. Remember how God brought you through the Red Sea when the the army of Pharaoh was barreling down on you to take you captive again. Remember what God did to provide for you in the wilderness when you were thirsty and couldn't find water that was drinkable. Or when you didn't have food to eat and God miraculously made it come out of the sky. Remember the faithfulness of God. This was Aaron's moment to stand before the people and declare the faithfulness of God and steer them back to the truth. But Aaron responds with, well, okay. Good plan. We've got to keep some kind of peace here. You guys are getting riled up. How can I appease you? Well, let's, let's uh, t- collect all the gold. And uh, we'll we'll do it up here. And and fat they fashioned a golden calf. And then it gets presented before the people. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It's this heartbreaking 
to see this. Such a complete rebellion and turning away from, from God who has been there for them, who has come through for them, who has shown His faithfulness in so many ways. And yet, not only do they just um, reject Him and the remembrance of Him, but then they attribute the good things God has done to false gods whom God has defeated. Do you remember the judgments that came on Egypt it actually says that these judgments were not only against Egypt, but against the gods of Egypt. The Lord declared Himself sovereign over everyone, everywhere, including the gods of Egypt. He defeated them utterly. And here now, the people are quickly turning back to what they knew before God saved them. That in their moment of despair, in their moment of, of hopelessness, that Moses isn't coming back and, and we don't know if, if this God's coming back with them. We, that, that they turn back to what they knew before God rescued them. Now we have that perspective because Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as he recounts the history of Israel and, and God's intervention with his people all the way up to the point of sending a Savior, right before the religious leaders stoned Stephen, he lays all this out and says as much that the folks here in, in, in Exodus 32, that they turn their hearts back towards Egypt. That they turn back to what they knew in Egypt before God rescued them that they began to place their hope back there where they had none. Back there when they were pleading with God for rescue, that's where they turned to. And Aaron makes it, uh, uh, makes it easy for them to do that. Now there's a few things that I, I just want to uh, uh, look at today for us. Because... As we look at, at Exodus 32 here, on the one hand, it's kind of easy to point a finger and go, wow, these guys blew it in such a big way. Um, it's really easy to do. But really the convicting thing is, if we're honest, we'll see reflections of ourselves in them. How we've despaired with hopelessness that maybe God doesn't hear us, maybe God isn't present, maybe God isn't even there. Um, maybe God doesn't care about what's going on in my world. But none of those things are based in reality. And what is real is, is that you and I, we, we, go, we each look around you right now. Just take a minute and look around you, side to side, front to back, I guarantee you everyone in here is, has gone or is going through or is about to go through something that is going to be so straining at the soul level. Um, it could be a health concern that you keep bringing before God, either for yourself or for a loved one. And it seems like there's no improvement and perhaps it's even getting worse. And you're going, where is God? That, that nagging question comes in. Does God hear us? Does God care? Is God going to do anything? Is He even there? It could be a, a, a longing for um, a relationship 
You keep pleading with God. It could be a longing for a child. It could be a, a longing for, for something uh, job-related, home-related, uh, relationships within the home, a marriage, that you've been pleading with God. That's been straining on your soul. Where there's a despair that's, that's building within you and you begin to wonder and this question shoots in, where is your God? Where is He? I guarantee as you look around you that, the, that these seats are full of those kinds of things happening at the heart and soul level. A weight that we bring before God and that God has often seemed to be silent on. Well, God is not a negligent father. He does not turn a deaf ear to the cries of His children. In fact, the reason He showed up in Egypt was because He heard the cries of His people. Now, our eyes don't always behold reality. In fact, they rarely do because we have such a finite perspective on what's going on and what God's plan is and how He's working in the world. And our finite perspective will often tell us that God isn't doing anything. That God isn't hearing. That God isn't caring. That God isn't present. But we can rest assured that decades and generations and thousands of years of proof of God's faithfulness will prove our feelings wrong. That in the end, as the psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul, hoping God you will yet praise Him. Look at Psalm 42. The psalmist, in Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The, the psalmist is saying, I love You, Lord. I'm all in. I trust You. He, he's revealing how deep is his desire to know and walk with God. But then look what he says next. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So the psalmist says, I trust you, Lord. I love you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I want to know you. But I've been pouring my soul out over this thing, whatever it is. I've been, my soul's been poured out before you with this. And all I can hear is all the naysayers and the accusers going, where's your God now? It would appear that the psalmist here is seeming to be dealing with the very thing we're talking about in that somehow God seems to be silent. But look how the psalmist, there are things for us to learn in here about how the psalmist deals with this that I think we can really find some help in this because we will go through these times. We will go through these seasons where our soul is heavy before the Lord and we wonder, is He there? Does He hear? Does He care? Look what the psalmist says. These things I remember. Oh, that's so important and powerful. These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, 
how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. The psalmist combats this discouragement, these seeds of discouraging thought and despair with a remembrance of what God has done already. A remembrance of, do you remember the things that we have praised God for through the years? The answers to prayer. The times where we did see God show up. Do you remember that? The psalmist says, I remember those things. And not just that I happen to remember, but that the psalmist intentionally remembers these things. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. He reminds himself, God is faithful. And this is a season that you walk through. Uh, Like in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. But it's a season. That just as before this season, you can remember praising God, worshiping God, thanking God for the things that He has done. You You are yet going to get to another place where you will be praising God and overwhelmed with a thankfulness for what He's done. But you can't quite see that yet. So the psalmist is reminding himself, you remember praising God for all that He's done back here. You can't feel it right now and you, you're not seeing it right now. Your soul is, is, is downcast before Him. But, but you're yet going to be in a place where you will again be praising and thanking Him for all that He's done. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember... You from the land of, the, of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? The psalmist turns to the Lord Himself for the answers. And he even says, why have you forgotten me? But the psalmist knows the answer even as he asks the question. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God? For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 43 is very similar to this one in that regards. And in verse 3 of Psalm 43, He says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then verse 5, Why are you down? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Remembering the faithfulness of God, reminding ourselves of what is true, is so important in combating this kind of hopelessness and despairing of the soul. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, there's a couple important things I want to look at here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, the Christians there, and he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, 
which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember where you came from. It's what the Israelites failed to do right away when they began to have those despairing thoughts. Remember where you came from. But there's more to it. Verse, uh, as we continue on here, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember where you came from and remember what God did to save you. Remember where you came from and remember how God rescued you at just the right moment. Remember how you were without hope and remember how God came to you in Christ and gave you hope. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. To the right of Ephesians there. Colossians 1, 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Remember where you came from and remember how God has rescued you. And then keeping on here, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The Israelites became an example, at least this generation here that we're talking about in Exodus 32, became an example of a people whose hope shifted. Shifted from the God who had proven Himself beyond any reasonable doubt uh, that He was sovereign, that He was good towards them, that He was faithful, that He was capable, that He was going to be with them, that He was going to help them and lead them and provide for them and protect them. And yet... Still, their hope shifted. Apostle Paul says, don't let your hope shift from the gospel that you've heard, the gospel that you've received by faith. Our hope, when we allow ourselves to keep going in despair without ever remembering what God has done or where He's brought us from or all the good works that He's, we've witnessed Him doing, uh, our, our heart begins to turn back towards those things that God saved us out of like they did for the Israelites. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. There are three things here um, that we're going to see that I want to leave you with that we've kind of seen in these previous passages. Uh, this one kind of, I think, just pulls them all together. Hebrews chapter 10. And, and in fact, if you're at a spot where you find yourself in one of those discouraging places where you just find a heaviness of the soul before God, uh, where you feel the weight of, of that temptation to despair and to lose hope and to have your hope shift somewhere else, perhaps to take matters into your own hands, uh, to make some other God in your life that you can pour your hope and trust into. Whether it's, uh, uh, you know, doctors or, or, or counselors or, or some other methods or, uh, some books or whatever the case may be, your own abilities to trust in. 
I want to remind you of what God has done, that He is good, that He has proven Himself faithful, and He will yet prove Himself again. And this larger passage here that we're looking at, we're just going to look at a few verses, but the larger passage of Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11, I think is for you, if that's the spot you're in right now. A reminder of God's faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are three things here that are important for us to do so that we don't end up walking in the footsteps of, of that generation of Jews that rejected God, rebelled against Him, and placed their hope somewhere else. The first one is, don't shift from your hope in Christ. Don't shift your hope anywhere else. There is nothing else you can hope in that will provide uh, the... the, the, the the salvation, the power, the forgiveness, the intervention uh, that you desire and long for. Every hope that every other hope will let you down. That's why Hebrews says that the hope we have in Christ is an anchor for our soul. And that's the only anchor you're going to find. Second thing, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Find ways to remember intentionally God's faithfulness. Don't rely that uh, someday you're just going to remember these things. Write them down. Glue them to a wall. Put them on a shelf. Uh, the, the hymn that we sang there, Come Thou Found, it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. That thing that helps me remember all that God has done. When God would do incredible things in, throughout Israel's history, they would build altars, they would stack stones, they would, they would find something to build so that every time they would pass by that again, they would be able to remember and to pass that remembrance on to other generations. Remember God's faithfulness. Because when we get in those moments of despair, if we're not intentional and we don't place those remembrances around us, we'll start to wonder if they ever actually happened. It seems that the Israelites are kind of in that spot. Did God really save us? (laughs) Maybe it was just a strong wind that blew across the water and parted it up. And the third thing is encourage one another with the Word of God and remembrances of His works. We need to encourage one another. Because one of the best things for one who is despairing is to have a friend who brings encouragement. To have a friend who comes along inside and says, "Uh, I know you can't see it now, but I remember you sharing with me all the faithful works of God in your life. And here are some of them. Don't shift from your hope. Remember God's faithfulness and encourage one another with the Word of God and the remembrance of His faithful hand at work in each other's lives. This is the way we patiently and perseveringly uh, make it through to the end, trusting God and seeing His faithful hand again and arrive at that place that the psalmist said, I will again praise Him. We're going to be in that spot again. 
whatever you're going through, you're going to be in that spot again where you yet praise God for all that He's done, where you yet recognize His faithful hand at work in your life. You may not see it yet, but it could be tomorrow when it happens. You just can't see it yet. I remember last year we, we um, were able to um, take a little vacation off the coast of Hawaii and, and Kauai, and I had never been uh, under the water in the ocean where you can see anything. I've been, off, I've been to the Gulf Coast where it was just like this sand mixture that you could see rolling around in front of your face. So it was my first time getting the snorkel. And uh, holy cow, the world under the water is incredible. And I remember going into water that was like this deep. And from the top, there's nothing going on in there. And as soon as I dipped down, there were just hundreds of fish right at my feet that I couldn't see even standing in the water and looking down. And, and the more that I would get to look in the cracks and crevices, you know, you'd see the big fish right away, right? But even as you look more minutely and minusculely within the cracks and crevices, you would find these little tiny fish that are swimming around. And they're just beautifully colored. And they're just so tiny. You would miss them completely uh, unless you just, you just kind of hover there and just stare at these spots. It became clear that all that there was to be seen, I didn't even come close to scratching the surface of all that was to be seen by even standing in the water and looking down at it. You cannot possibly comprehend all that God is doing and all that He's going to do by just perceiving what you think you see. God is at work on your behalf and you will yet praise Him. So hang in there. Keep hoping in Him and remembering His faithfulness and encouraging each other all the more as the days go by. Father, we thank You for Your presence. We thank You for Your your power. And Lord, that You care for Your children. That You do not abandon us. That You have not forgotten us. Lord, that You are not neglectful of Your children. Lord, You are at work and we thank You for the work that You're already doing that we can't see yet. We thank You for the ways that You are answering our prayers yet we can't see them being answered yet. We thank You for the ways that You're working, uh, Lord, when yet our eyes would tell us perhaps that You're not doing anything or that You don't hear us. But God, we thank You because You are the God who hears. You are the God who sees. And we can have confidence in drawing near to You. There is no one who desires more good for us than You our Heavenly Father who saved us from sin and hell. And so we thank You and praise You and ask for You to help us to persevere, to always remember Your works and to encourage each other with those. In Jesus' name, Amen.